Okay, let's go to the next phase of uh, your, your career, if you will. Let's assume for discussion's sake that you are now retired. And to, and to make life simple, let's say that you have three types of assets. You have uh, traditional retirement plans, and I'm going to lump uh, all the traditional retirement plans together because for our purposes, it doesn't make much difference whether it is an IRA, a 401k, more likely a 403b, a 401a, a traditional retirement plan. Then you have some Roth dollars also. Then you have some after-tax dollars, that is money that you've already paid taxes on. And let's lump the money that you've already paid taxes on into two different categories. The first is highly appreciated money, probably money that you invested many years ago that has gone up uh, in value significantly. And if you were to uh, cash it in or spend it, you would have to pay capital gains. Uh, other monies uh, have not, that have not gone up much in value uh, that is not subject to any or significant capital gains taxes. So let's assume that we have, I said three, I guess it's really four types of those assets. So first, um, which, which dollars should you spend? Well, you should spend your income, right? Because you have to pay tax on it anyway, whether it's interests or dividends or social security or you've annuitized or you're still doing some work or whatever it is, that makes sense to spend that money. But let's say that now you're going into your portfolio. Well, the cheapest from a tax standpoint, remember, don't pay taxes now, pay taxes later, except the Roth, is you spend your after-tax dollars that don't have any or don't have much appreciation. So you're in effect taking money that you've already paid taxes on, transferring it to yourself to use for your spending, and there's no, little or no taxes on it. Then after that, I would prefer that you spend your highly appreciated after-tax dollars. And here's where I sometimes disagree with people, and we're not gonna go through the math, but the math confirms uh, what I am saying, subject to some exceptions, spend your highly appreciated dollars, um, that is money that you have not yet paid tax on, before you spend your IRAs and retirement plans and 403Bs and TIA, et cetera. Then spend your IRAs, retirement plans, 401Ks, 403Bs, et cetera. And then finally spend your Roth dollars last because the Roth dollars, remember, have uh, no minimum required distribution if it's a Roth IRA, and we want that money to keep growing uh, for yourself and your family. Now, of course, with almost every rule, there are some exceptions. Um, there might be, for example, an, an exception where based on tax bracket, you don't want to spend, um, you don't want to push yourself into a higher tax bracket by spending your IRA, it might make sense to spend the Roth for, for some of your dollars. Um, and there's another strategy that we will talk about that is another exception. But again, the general rule, let's just take two people um, who are 65 years old. And this is also another uh, true story. So um, when I was just preparing tax returns, so I started as a CPA, then became an estate attorney, then um, became a registered investment advisor. And the truth is I use all those skill sets uh, in my uh, daily advice. But when I was just a CPA and I was doing a professor's tax return, I noticed that even though he was not back then, it was 70 and a half, 
even though he had not hit his minimum required distribution, he was taking money out of his retirement plan and he was spent and he was his tax bill was much higher than it should have been. And even though I wasn't an advisor at the time, I'm, I've always been proactive. And I wrote a note, um, you know, dear Joe, um, I noticed that you're spending money from your IRA before spending money from outside the IRA in your portfolio. And that is accelerating your taxes and you're going to have less money down the road. I recommend that you spend your after-tax dollars and then spend your IRA, uh, TIA, uh, 403B, etc. So anyway, I sent the note off. Uh, then next year, I'm doing his tax return. He did the same thing. <laughs> I, I hate that when I'm giving people really good advice. And anyway, I wanted to quantify it. And that now this is a later version, but basically we said, okay, what if we do it your way? You know, we spend the after we spend the IRA money first because remember, if you want to spend say a dollar, or you can add a zero or two to it, or three to it. It's going to cost, even at 28%, it's going to cost you maybe a dollar 40. You have to pay 40 cents in tax to have your dollar left to spend. So your portfolio is depleted by a dollar 40. Now, if on the other hand, you spend money that you've already paid tax on, and let's for discussion's sake assume that there isn't appreciation, so you don't have a capital gain, you're only depleting your portfolio by a dollar. So that means that you are giving up the interest and the dividends and the capital gains on that extra 40 cents. Well, you add a couple zeros to that, and over time, even starting at age 65, given certain assumptions, it might make a million-dollar difference over time for you and your heirs. So it's really critical to spend the money, spend the right money first. All right, then, of course, I did say there are some exceptions. What are some of the exceptions? And I actually did a two-hour presentation just on these exceptions to a group of CPAs. And that's when you go from the taxable world to the tax-free world. All right, so the obvious way to go from the taxable world to the tax-free world is with a Roth IRA conversion. But again, that's part of our rule. Don't pay taxes now, pay taxes later, except the Roth. Sometimes it makes sense to um, literally pay taxes on the IRA, 401k, 403b, 401a, etc. So let's say you start with, for discussion's sake, $50,000 for money in your retirement plan. You pay taxes on it. Uh, now you have $30,000 left, and you use that $30,000 to gift to your heirs, uh, who then invest that money in something that is tax-free. Uh, if we have time, we will talk about gifting, but what are some of the tax-free gifts that your heirs can invest in uh, so that you're in effect paying taxes now, you're getting the money out of your estate because you're making a gift and your heirs are investing tax-free? Well, something that is likely to be consistent with your values is putting money in a 529 plan, which is a college savings plan, which is like a Roth in that you put in after-tax dollars and it grows tax-free, assuming that you take it out for a qualifying education use. But um, 
In this case, it is growing outside of your state, even if you are still on the account. By the way, one of the few exceptions where, in fact, I think the only exception where you have control, you can undo it, you could take it back, but it's not in your state uh, when you die. Health savings plan. Uh, if you give some money to your kids and say, hey, put this money into a health savings account, and again, that's tax-free growth. Uh, life insurance is a tax-free growth, typically on your life, not your kid's life. Um, and then you can gift money and have your kids or your heirs contribute money to Roth IRAs and to use some of that money to pay for Roth IRA conversions themselves. So that's probably the biggest exception to don't pay taxes now, pay taxes later, except the Roth, which is going from the taxable um, environment to the tax-free environment. Very few professors do that, although many actually should. Uh, the other thing is, I think I mentioned, if you are doing some tax bracket management. Okay, why don't we take, uh, this is a, a good kind of breaking point for a question or two if we have them. So Erica, do we have any questions so far? I'd like to take maybe one or two. Um, we do have a few questions. One is uh, investment specific, so I'm going to save that for the investment webinar. But uh, we did have another question from Eric, and he asked, um, in spending the right money first in that strategy, where do RMDs lie? Well, our RMDs, Erica's referring to required minimum distributions. There you don't have a choice, assuming that you are retired and it used to be 70 and a half, now it's 72, uh, money has to come out of your retirement plan. So if you don't have a choice and you have to take it out, that's part of your plan. But if you were saying, how does that apply specifically in this, in this order, since you have to take it out, I would say, again, subject to exception, that you only want to take out the minimum. If you can afford to live uh, using other assets like after-tax dollars um, or uh, other forms of income, spend that first to preserve as much money as possible for your retirement plan. Again, subject to that exception, which typically is going to be applied to wealthier uh, professors who can afford the luxury of making gifts where you cash some money in, pay the taxes, take the money after the gift and um, invest it or make a gift where your heirs invest it tax-free. Should I move on or should you want to do one more? Um, well, I do have one more from Thomas. And he says, um, he's asking, can you use a uh, required minimum distribution from an IRA to pay for a 529 and have the 1099 income from this transfer be $0? <laughs> No, good try. So <laughs> I love these questions. Um, so Thomas has what uh, a professor of mine used to call larceny of the heart. Larceny of the heart is when you want to squeeze the last drop out of the tax code. So he's saying, hey, since I'm going to be investing it in a 529 plan, which is this wonderful thing for my child's or more likely grandchild's education, wouldn't it be fair if I didn't have to pay taxes on the distribution from my IRA? Well, good try, Thomas, but I'm afraid you can't do that. But I do appreciate your effort.
All right. So why don't we go to one of the great mysteries of life? Um, and by the way, this is really important because I'd say the vast majority of professors and even their advisors uh, make bad decisions regarding the distribution of their TIAA because they don't understand some of the distribution options and they don't understand certain, actually, I, I'm gonna try to stay away from investments, at least this session, but it's gonna be, investments are part of the best solution. So, what I'm gonna talk about, there, there's two sets of rules that you have to, to um, follow. One is rules um, uh, promulgated by the uh, Congress, uh, enforced by the Internal Revenue Service, which is what's called that federal rules. And then there are specific rules with regards to the contract where you have your retirement plan. And many of you, even if you've been with the same institution uh, your entire career, so when I look at uh, the TI-CREF in other statements, for example, from even just somebody who's been at the University of Pittsburgh for 30 or 40 years, <clears throat> instead of having, let's keep it simple, let's say it was all in TIA and CREF, instead of having just two lines, TIAA X, CREF X, they might have four or five, sometimes more, contracts of just TIAA contributions. Then they might have the same number or even more of just CREF contributions. And each one of, which is one of the reasons why your statements um, have so many lines on them because each contract is different. And to get the, the definitive answer, you actually have to look at the rules of the specific contract. So again, it will vary among universities. It will vary among um, the contracts within the university. So that's the first caveat. So there's no way I can cover them all but I will try to cover the most important ones. So let's take a look at the options for traditional retirement plans, IRAs, um, 401ks, 403bs, uh, CREF, but specifically I'm not going to include traditional TIAA, at least in this set of options. One option that you can have is you can take the money, you could take all the money and pay the taxes. That would be the stupidest thing that you could do, but uh, I've seen it done and it is one of your options. That money is liquid to you. You can do whatever you want with it. Two, if you're not happy with the investment vehicle, whether it's in TIA, CREF, and IRA, you could take that money, do a tax-free rollover. We prefer what we call a trustee-to-trustee -trustee transfer, um, which is basically you never accept possession of the money that way we don't have any um, federal income tax withheld, but basically um, you are doing a rollover. Um, you could convert some of it. Uh, you could convert all of it to a Roth. That's probably be a mistake, but you could do that. You could take a systematic withdrawal. You could say, well, gee, I want, uh, you know, $5,000 a month every month, uh, you know, indefinitely. So you could do that. Um, if you wanted to, you could do, well, I just want the interest um, up until the time I turn 72 when the minimum required distribution uh, kicks in. Now, again, I'm assuming 
that you are retired. And specifically, I'm using the, uh, the university's definition of retirement. Typically, when they are no longer contributing to your retirement plan, uh, sometimes it gets a little bit unclear if you're on an early phased retirement, et cetera. But again, for our purposes, I'm, I'm assuming that you are retired. So you have all of these options. Um, if you take the minimum distribution option, uh, there was a question about minimum distribution. Let's just keep the math simple. Let's say that you have a um, million dollars in your retirement plan and your minimum required distribution is somewhere around $25,000. You have to take that. But if you wanted, let's say one year you need 50000 or 100000 you can take out as much or as little as you like. Well, you have to take out at least the minimum if it's subject to minimum required distributions. But the point is the money is liquid to you. You can take it out. You can annuitize, and we'll talk about that. Um, or you can do what most people end up doing, which is some combination of all these distribution options. Now, annuitizing is when you are taking a chunk of money, typically not all of it, but a chunk of it, and you are giving it to an insurance company, most likely TIAA, and you're saying, okay, TIAA, here's my $100,000, here's my $500,000, let's just use $100,000 as an example. I want you to pay me whatever the going rate is based on my, and potentially um, a two life, but either for my life or my life and my spouse's life, the maximum that, that your tables show for, for our life expectancies, and by the way, it's actuarial life expectancies based on TIAA's um, experience, not your personal life expectancy. Um, and to pay that amount every year for the rest of your life. Now, some older professors, and by the way, my mom who has passed, but uh, she had to annuitize. So back in those days, uh, she had to retire at age 72. I'm sorry, at age 70, which in her case was a real shame because she probably had at least another 10 good years of uh, teaching in her. But anyway, she had to annuitize, meaning she had to accept a payment from TI-CREF every month for the rest of her life. And I don't know exactly what actuarial number that TI-CREF used, but let's just say for discussion's sake, that at age 70, that they expected her to die somewhere around age 85. Well, she survived till age 95. So she did really well because they were paying her, in effect, assuming that she was going to die at age 85, but she got another 10 years of income. And the other thing is if she had lived to 105, she still would have continued getting that income. So annuitizing is, is somewhat out of fashion these days. Um, but I would say that it is a way of um, securing your future. Sometimes one of our uh, strategies is to annuitize enough so that when you combine it with Social Security, there's enough money for food on the table, shelter over your head, gas in the car, maybe a little bit of money for Saturday night. In other words, kind of cover the basics guaranteed no matter what the market does. Um, but again, after you die, subject to exception, the amount that you annuitize uh, stops. 
Um, again, tip, if you are single, it will typically be for your life. If you are married, uh, usually subject to exception, I'm going to recommend that you do it for uh, your life and, and the life of your spouse. So no matter which one of you die first, the survivor will continue receiving an income. There are some options. You could say, well, I want a 10-year guarantee in the, in the event that both my wife and I die before 10 years pass. I want, so let's say you both are, are gone after year seven, then the 10-year guarantee would give your heirs three more years. Um, and then the other thing that they have is they have a graded option. And by the way, not just TIA, but other insurance companies. The idea is to protect you from inflation. On the other hand, it's not drafted that way. You have to be a little careful. It's typically saying, well, we'll give you an extra 3% uh, every year. They don't say, hey, we're going to cover the true cost of inflation, which might be 10 or 20%. And right now, we've had a period of very low inflation, and now we're starting to experience inflation. So uh, people who have chosen at least a graded or an increasing um, distribution from annuitizing um, are probably happier now than the people that might have done that say five years ago, and then they had five years where there really wasn't much inflation. All right, 